0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, boys and girls, get out your tinfoil hats. Today we are getting into some pretty interesting territory, and we're going to be discussing uh, psyops, false flags, conspiracy theories, and we'll talk a little bit about how the CIA was founded and why they were founded, and we're going to dive into some pretty interesting rabbit holes, and uh, we may uh, get into some unsubstantiated claims and some substantiated claims, and somewhere that kind of blurs the edges of
1: those things just a bit here. Oh, yes, it is. Very interesting, guys. So go ahead. If you don't have your tinfoil hats, go ahead and run to the pantry, get your tinfoil, and let's make one together. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's
0: pretty interesting to see the way things have happened uh, primarily in the, let's just say, the Patriot Act era. Yes. Okay, the that's big, changed.
1: The, the Big Brother era.
0: Yes. We, we are living in the Big Brother era, and whether anybody wants to um, admit that or acknowledge that... Um, we do in fact live in the age of mass surveillance. You look at the NSA, you look at all the snooping they're doing. you look at you know it's, it's, it's a t- an entire operation that's being um, you know meant to collect data from a ton of different people and for them to be able to accept, um, uh, access that data and manipulate that data and cross-reference all of that data. And what I mean by that is, you know, every single cell phone recording, every email, every text, every bit of data, your search results, your screens on your computers, everything's being recorded. And that data is put into a giant database, which is what happens. And we know Snowden already blew the whistle on this. And uh, a lot of people really wanted to see Trump pardon Snowden and Assange with WikiLeaks. Uh, and we consider that in this era of surveillance to be really top-notch journalism. Uh, when you're trying to share things that are going on to and, and to expose this cabal that exists uh, in the world. And without fear of sounding, you know, I don't want anybody to accuse me of being Alex Jones or anything. Look, I like Alex Jones. I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, he talks about is pretty interesting and thought-inspiring. And uh, I do believe him truly to be a good guy. I've never met him, but... You know, when someone thinks conspiracy theorists, they think tinfoil hat wearing, Alex Jones-esque type of thing. But the truth of the matter, Snowden and Assange both have proven that there is a um, giant undertaking underway to collect this data and manipulate it in ways that allow them to determine who's a threat and who isn't. On the outside, that may not seem like a big deal, right? You would think, well, if I don't have anything to hide, why do I care if they're recording what I'm saying or they're, you know— recording every bit of written text I send out or email or whatever, or, or recording every phone call or every FaceTime on your phone or whatever, or recording the camera on your phone to know exactly what's going on. Well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, why should I care? Uh, Americans do generally you know, view it as an invasion of privacy. Uh, I, I think that generally you know, there is something for a, an individual's privacy that should come into play, right? You know, people should have the ability to lead a private life if they wish to. And there's the other aspect of oh well they do it under the guise of well we have to catch people who are gonna you know potentially cause harm to our country terrorists extremists and things like that the issue becomes and where I want to kind of dive into some of this is that all right who gets to decide who is a threat and when so one minute you're a patriot loves your country who flies the American flag out in front of your uh, you know red white and blue in front of your house and you love your country and you know you love your country but. What what happens when you're deemed a danger just by virtue of the way that you live, and not even so much the way you live, but the way that they think, their view of you. Oh, you supported Trump, therefore you must be X, Y, Z. Or, oh, you vote uh, primarily Republican, so you must be X, Y, Z. All right? Maybe one end of it could be, oh, you're white, you own a gun, you go to church, you have a family, therefore, oh, you fit a certain algorithm that we've established that, you are more prone to extremism than these people or that people. And, and that definition constantly changes and evolves depending on whoever the heck is calling the shots, right? So now we're sitting here under a Biden administration, and already in the first couple of days of his presidency, he's cost some 25,000 jobs between Canadian workers and American workers related to the pipeline. There's been all of these things going on. So when you are deemed a threat, to society, when they hate your way of life, and then use that NSA system and all of the snooping and data collection to weaponize against your way of life and your way of thinking, where do you draw the line and how do you approach it in a fair way? And is it possible for it to be fair? I mean, you look at Verizon, for instance, Verizon is a humongous Democrat donor. All right. They donate to tons of Democrat campaigns. So how do you know that? All right. If you are a Verizon customer who happens to be someone they disagree with, how do you know that the the CIA, NSA, all of these alphabet agencies don't have an exact duplicate of your phone? That Verizon has allowed them to do and whatever you look at they see so they know what you're looking at how you're looking at it your um, surfing habits in terms of what you look at on your phone how much time you spend on your phone what you look at who you talk to and how do you know that they're not psychoanalyzing all of that in such a way that they literally have the the ability to just uh, drop a black hawk on top of your house at any
1: minute. It's true, and they absolutely do. And, you know, there's a lot of guys and, you know, people out there that would think that everybody's watching them all the time. It's not that, you know, any government agency is watching you all the time. It's the fact that they have the ability to flip the switch to watch you all the time. So that's not necessarily, you shouldn't be concerned with, oh, they're watching me all the time, because they're really not. But the tallest blade of grass gets cut. So the minute that you kind of, show yourself or say anything, then you automatically draw suspicion. They have the ability to do that. And that's not by design for the government. That was by design for profit. So when you start looking at all of this technology and algorithms and ability to do this, it all stemmed from profits. The, the bigger companies, the tech companies that kind of control this ecosystem want to drill down and they want to make money off of your habits. So there's a reason that you're you know, surfing the web and you're getting pop-ups for things that align with what you would want to buy. That's because they're looking at your habits, your daily habits, your viewing habits, what websites, what your friends are looking at. What your friends are looking at this, that means you probably want, the, you, you like the same thing. So they're going to feed that to you as well. But that's something that, As a U.S. citizen, we've come to accept because you're giving those rights away when you choose to use this device, whether it's a smartphone. So your smartphone tracks everything, where you are. It has GPS, so it knows where you are, how long you stayed there. I get a report from Google Timeline at the end of every year, and it tells me what cities I went to all over the world. tells me you know how many miles I traveled everything so think about that they do that for every single person that has a Google account well one way to think about
0: this as well is that every single technology that's ever been developed that we love and use so much really started as a an aid to the military-industrial complex and to the government complex and all of their their needs right Think about the highway system, right? Who was the first person even to design a highway? Hitler right Well, yeah, the end goal might have been hey to make you know people be able to travel uh, you know to and fro a little bit easier, but ultimately, the highway systems were designed to expedite the moving of troops and materials and to use emergency runways and all this so everything that we take advantage of the infrastructure even. Is is first and foremost designed to benefit the military and the government, law enforcement
1: first and foremost. Which I mean, which is why you see the Eisenhower uh, system. If you ever wonder when you're driving on the highway and you see Eisenhower Expressway or Eisenhi- Eisenhower Highway, that's very similar to what they did in Germany. They they copied that. They said this system is built so they can move troops and tanks and stuff across the U.S. Precisely.
0: And yep. and like when you look at let's just say. Uh, your Google Maps thing that mm-hmm. tells you where you've been, where you're going. If you can access it and you know what the information is and what it's what it benefits to you, just imagine what they can access. For they can sure. access that data and they know where you've been, where you're going, what you've searched for. Um, so it's interesting to think that, like, you look at facial uh, recognition software, um, there's been a lot of, you know, advancements made in that technology. And this at the point now where, you know, even a, a simple camera on the side of the road, you're sitting at a, at a stop sign or a red light somewhere and this camera can pick up your facial features and, and know all kinds of things. In China, they even have uh, facial recognition software that ties to a social credit system mm-hmm. that, that they can know, you know, based on the <laughs> the way your face looks you know if you look angry or upset like it can tell the emotion that you're expressing and then it, they have an algorithm that can determine all right maybe this person based on xyz all of these different factors may or may not be prone to violence and then oh well he's angry what's he angry about so it's all of these things like big brother's always snooping and finding other ways um to basically
1: you know create portfolios on people right And that's coming to the US as well. You you see more and more companies, bigger companies, start instituting that as far as when they come in, say when they come into work at the office, you're getting, when you're checking in with security and they're scanning your badge, they're also scanning your face and they're saying, hey, yes, this badge matches this face, but what type of mood is this person in? Is this person Mm -hmm. angry? Like, why are they coming to work angry? Let's investigate that a little bit. Yeah, we we have to kind of start thinking about
0: here um, in this podcast, you know, why do we have this age of surveillance that we have today, right? Why do we have the NSA? Why do we have the Patriot Act? Many people think that under a Biden administration that we're going to have the Patriot Act 2.0 and it's going to be worse and they're going to add all other types of factors into who can be snooped on and for what reason. Now, there's supposed to be standards as to why someone would be potentially, you know, have a portfolio built on them or a a profile built on them, but Snowden and Assange both have done a lot of work to to show that they actually are building profiles on lots and lots and lots of people, especially people who have smartphones, people who are in big cities uh, where they can get more of an established regimen of face recognition software. An algorithm can determine over a long period of time who's traveled through what intersection, how many times, what time of the day. So it's like they've even got to the point now where they can they can know, all right, this person's on their way to work. We know that because we have the data. This person, we never see him. Why is he here? And so they start to kind of create this web of information that can be cross-referenced. And while you would think, all right, that's really smart and that's intelligent, and intelligence, the definition of intelligence in this case, is having, being armed with knowledge. Whether you use that knowledge or not, having that data and having that intelligence is paramount in protecting the sovereignty and safety of the government. They don't care about the civilians as much this is more of a military industrial complex thing. This is a big government thing. Um, this is a, a shadow government type of thing. This is a you know deep state type of thing right um, but it's done under the guise of protecting you, but in reality, they spend all this tax money that you pay to uh <laughs> use this system to basically keep tabs on you. all right. so why do we even have this so let's let's dive quickly into the history of the Central Intelligence Agency. Why do we have the CIA? Why do they exist? Why were they created? Now, the history of the CIA and what's led up till now, they've been involved in almost every major operation, seen and unseen, that you can possibly think of from 1947 till now. All right, so the CIA, and I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing Wikipedia here because the information's convenient and it's right here in front of me, uh, but the CIA was essentially created on July 26th. Uh, Harry S. Truman signed the National Security Act of 1947 into law. So essentially what happened was after Pearl Harbor, after World War II, all right, and at the request and and let's just say, advice of people like uh, William Donovan, while Bill Donovan, uh, he was the head of the Office of Strategic Services. All right. He wrote to Franklin D. Roosevelt on November eighteenth, 1944, stating the need for a peacetime central intelligence service, which would essentially be in the same guise of the OSS.
1: Very British of them.
0: It is, but the thing is, is if had they better if if they had better um intelligence and better data could they have prevented pearl harbor you know so i think that was sort of the idea is like all right how do we take these people who are going to cause us this harm and how do we head them off how do we beat them World War II was a war of intelligence. You look at the Enigma coding device the Germans used. You look at, you know, we used the Navajo uh, code talkers. Yes. So now you're mixing, for the first time in the history of man, in such a widespread level, you're talking mass intelligence, espionage, spy rings. Uh, you know, you're talking people who are spying on people. They're gathering intelligence, and they're using that intelligence in a way— that can literally sink ships, right? I mean, even in World War One, they said loose lips sink, sink ships, ships, right? So they knew, even back around World War One, that intelligence was a super important thing that you wanted to control who blabbed about something, or you know, uh, it's what we would call in the military uh, the term that we would use is OPSEC. opsec, operational security, right? Operational security, in more or less forms, has been a thing. Since the onset of men killing each other, right? This is not new, right? Even if you were guarding a castle rampart, right? You don't you know, you have noise and light discipline, right? You don't tell a stranger about the, the the security protocols of your castle, about the the trade routes, about who comes in and out, about where the secret tunnels all are. All of that is OPSEC. So OPSEC has been a thing since the onset of warfare. That's not new. What the Central Intelligence Agency did in 47 and what they aimed to do was to departmentalize that in a way that you had all of these intelligence agencies, the FBI, all of them gunning for that power to have control over that information and that intelligence.
1: Yeah, and you run into, you know, two, I'm going to say, warring departments. So you had the FBI Federal Bureau of Investigations, and you had the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, and really, um, they couldn't really decide what was going on, so they said, well, FBI handles everything on U.S. soil, and the CIA, by design, is to handle everything off of U.S. soil. And that's kind of how they divvied that up. But I just wanted to circle back to the intelligence and the OPSEC um, story. We... Lisa and I just started watching uh, Turn, which is a show based, uh, it's, a, it's a series based off of the Culpeper ring, the original like Revolutionary War spy ring for, that Washington uh, helped set up. And yes, the show is, it's a show, so not everything is, you know, true and, and based on true things. And there's, but the way they vetted the spies was very interesting. They would, they would kidnap them. After they, would, after they gave them the information, they would then turn around and kidnap them, torture them, and ask them to give up the name of the person that they just spoke to. And if they didn't give up the name of the person they just gave the information to, then they said, hey, good job. You didn't give a sub. You now are a member of of the Pepper Ring, which... I mean, it really puts it in perspective. That's how serious they took it. They would dress up, they would kidnap them, and dress up as British soldiers, and they would literally make them feel like they're about to kill them. And you know, it's amazing. Some people would give up the names, and they would realize, like, hey, this is not going to be a good candidate for this because if this really happened, they would they would sing, they would tell them everything, and then you had the guys that were willing to die to hold that secret, and they were like, you are a great candidate.
0: I do or, believe or strongly that we are a nation of secrets. And that at the highest levels of our government and every echelon of government, there are secrets that, if exposed, would probably uh, turn the world upside down and turn your view of reality upside down. And I believe that people have a right to know, but there is also a different aspect of it when you think, all right, how much do you really want to know? You know, when, like, all right, Trump was leaving office, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, he might. you know, he might declassify certain documents related to Area 51 and aliens, and extraterrestrials, which I want to do a whole podcast on extraterrestrials because I have some certain views about that type of stuff. I think, demons. Well, look, I, th- I think that scientifically, if we're being honest with ourselves, we, we have to accept the fact that there is very, very much likely
1: a very strong chance that life exists other than here. Well, if you feel like we are the only living creatures in the entire known and unknown universe sitting on one planet in one galaxy in one p- area of space, then I'm not saying anything bad, but we need to reevaluate your train of thought because it's... Yeah, it's an, we'll get into that in a future podcast. Um I think Next time.
0: What you just mentioned about... You know, that whole double agent thing and and testing someone's loyalty. That can certainly get into psyops, and we'll get into that. So, psyops are essentially psychological operations, okay? And this comes directly from Wikipedia. That's probably the best definition. Instead of me trying to paraphrase it, I'll just give you the definition. Uh, Psychological operations, or psyops, are operations to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to, to influence their emotions, motives, and objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. So, in the Iraq War, one of the things we were constantly told, hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. Right. Right. So, that's very much a part of it, right? Um, the idea of treating people a certain way, appealing to certain groups within an environment, in a way that allows you to, I hate to say it, manipulate their behavior, make them less violent, make them cooperate with U.S. officials, Uh, you know, maybe give you intelligence or information that they would only give you if they trusted you, right? Uh, You look at a a PSYOP operation would also be leaflets, right? Like back in World War II, Vietnam, uh, they dropped leaflets, they dropped pamphlets, all types of information. Look back at the French occupation in World War II, the Nazis occupied France. That was an entire PSYOP, right? Because you've got the Nazis who obviously have their thumbs down on the citizenry of France. There was an entire underground movement French resistance. And of course, they had their entire underground movement of arming people, collecting intelligence, uh, data, troop movements. All of those things are part of not necessarily psychological operations, but they can be. A PSYOP can also be even just a guerrilla operation against a large force to disrupt their thinking, right? So a PSYOP can either be carried out by a government against another government. Uh, many people think that ISIS is a PSYOP, right? That the CIA funds ISIS. ISIS goes in and causes disruption. And then what do we do? Oh, we got to go to war with these people because they're evil, whatever, right? There hasn't been a suicide bombing in Iraq in quite a while, and at least in terms of the media reporting it. All right, the day after Biden gets elected, what happened? 26 people were killed in a suicide bombing operation by ISIS in Baghdad. Yeah, I think there
1: was two of them. There was two
0: bombings. Right. So what does that tell you? All right, is it the CIA that's involved that are causing these PSYOPs, like these psychological operations, right, to change the hearts and minds of Americans to go, oh, we need to go fight these people because they're hurting people or whatever. So it... It's weird, right? Or, or even just to make the politicians go, well, we got to do something now because they're, I guess, our allies or we support them. I mean, there are still troops in Iraq now, but you're talking. This could potentially lead to another troop draw up, and here we are, not even just a few days
1: into a Biden-Harris administration, and they're already rattling sabers. I don't think that the American public would stand for uh, for another draw up if, regardless if it was in Iraq or Afghanistan. I think. I I and I believe and this is how I feel I I think we're just tired of being there you know I think in general every country that's gone into those countries well Afghanistan mainly has been unsuccessful and that's you know that seems to be the case here as well yes we fought a good fight for longer than any other country but at what point does America say it's enough is enough I mean, sending more and more, especially now, if they were to draw up, because we already reduced the count, I think, last year, down to, I think, 2,500 troops in Afghanistan and even less in Iraq to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to re-up and we're going to send more people there. I don't know about that.
0: It certainly becomes a series of diminishing returns. You know, all these people that say, oh, well, Iraq was fought over oil. It was fought over this. Iraq was fought over the military-industrial complex, Right, it was fault over. I believe profiteers, people that saw an opportunity to make money, and when while that cash cow was profitable, they they kept the the draw up there because there was tons of uh, military contractors making metric tons of money. I mean, KB, Kellogg Brown and Root yeah, was making seventy five dollars a day per meal per soldier. Every time you signed that signature, Kellogg Brown and Root got like seventy bucks of taxpayer money. It's a cash cow for you to go in and eat a bowl of cereal and a little thing of milk and then grab a banana and a juice bottle on the way out and they get $75 for that, for the logistics required to get that there. So, you know, I, I'm not going to dive into the minutia of that because I don't want to talk out of turn, right? The Iraq War has a lot of uh, serious and, and very real connotations that go into it. But again, getting back to the PSYOPs, right? There's a lot of different ways that a PSYOP can be conducted. And uh, it, it's it's a very, very in-depth type of thing to talk about, right? But let's look a little bit at So here on Wikipedia, they list a few different types of PSYOPs. Uh, A white PSYOP is attributable to PSYOP as a source. White is acknowledged as an official statement or act of the U.S. government uh, from a source uh, associated closely enough with the U.S. government to reflect an official viewpoint. This would be something like a presidential uh, press conference or an official media release from the White House or something like that, where you can go, hey, this isn't just conjecture, right? This is direct word from the top of the hill, right? A gray PSYOP, the source of the gray PSYOP product is deliberately ambiguous, okay? Uh, The true source is not revealed to the target audience, Uh, the actively The activity engaged in plausibly appears uh, to uh, result from a non-official American source or an indigenous non-hostile source, or there may be no uh, attribution at all. Uh, Gray is that information whose content is such that the effect will be increased if the hand of the U.S. government and, in some cases, any American participation is not revealed. It is simply a means for the U.S. to present viewpoints which are in the interest of the U.S. uh, foreign policy, but which may not be acceptable or more acceptable to be intended target audience than will an official government statement. So you get into that territory. A black PSYOP, and I'm just sort of paraphrasing here. uh, The activity engaged in appears to uh, happen from a source, uh, government, party group, organization, person, usually hostile in nature. So this would be like a ISIS or something happening where the CIA is arming ISIS or training them or, or giving them intelligence. Like a coup d'etat type. Or, type yes, deal. Yeah. right, and then sending them in to do the dirty work. So it's it's like a situation where you don't want your hands on it, but you'll empower the people that will, right? Okay, think about the Korean War, Okay. Uh, You look at Russia wasn't necessarily, or China may, uh, or Russia may not have necessarily been involved directly in the Korean War, but they armed Chinese troops, North Koreans. Like, so see, if they gave the people supplies and armed the people that are fighting you, you know, the enemy of the enemy is my friend, that type of concept, right? Um, You know, I I believe China armed a lot of the NVA in the the Vietnam War. Oh, for sure. So was the Russians. Weapons, support, you know, so... All of that goes in the same type of situation, right? You know, like the the CIA um, armed many of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan that were
1: fighting uh, the Russians in the, Afghanistan. Well, that's well, where the whole Stinger missile thing came from, where they were using the our their own, their own, their own weapons against right. us at one so point. So the U.S. government may not want
0: to drop into Afghanistan and fight the Russians, but they might want to support the people that are. Right. So that's kind of what that comes into play there.
1: Well it was very in in Vietnam you saw that a lot with Russia just like currently the like US special forces will – Going, they'll uh, they'll advise. They'll, they're in an advisory role in other countries. The same thing happened in Russia with, or in uh, Vietnam with the Russians. There'd be countless reports from like MACV SOG guys that are like, "Yeah, we were out on patrol." Even like LERPs guys, long-range reconnaissance guys, that just kind of that's what they do. They yeah, just observe.
0: We swore we saw Russians. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey,
1: we see a uh, you know a, a platoon of NVA, and there's like three white dudes with blonde hair uh assisting and advising them right. and they and you know that would let them know like, hey, we have Russians that are advising the NVA and it was pretty well known. And there's a whole bunch of psyops that went on in Vietnam too. We'll get to that. But there was some really cool stuff that they did during that time. And I say cool relatively because it, it it's gone and it's happened, but Just the ingenuity that went into these types of things were were interesting.
0: Well, and I think it's also worth noting that the Vietnam War was also one of the first times that we had media embedded with the soldiers and reporting things. And the Vietnam War was a really unpopular war. Why was it so unpopular? Was it unpopular because it wasn't a war worth fighting? All right, think about World War II. Yeah, you had um, sort of that propaganda-esque newsreels and things that would occur in the movie theaters, and you had newspapers and things that would report on things, but those reports were generally gotten from the military who would put out whatever information they wanted to share with the public. Hey, our troops are doing good. They're well-fed. Look, they're happy. They're, you know, drinking coffee. They're shaving. You know, sort of the... The image that the military wants to create for what's going on in that environment, and then report back to the civilians to increase the uh, the popularity of the situation yeah, I mean, to support the troops and keep morale up. And yeah, stuff. and pre- yeah. keep morale up. So Vietnam was one of the first times where you had all these media embedded with them and out interviewing people. And, and look, Jane Fonda went out and like interviewed the NVA and went and hung out oh, with them. Oh god, it. yeah, so, yeah, don't get yeah, yeah on H- that. yeah. Hanoi Jane, you know, and that was a terrible situation where now you've got you know, uh, famous people, the media now being involved in and choosing sides on this situation and creating an environment where people don't support the military side of the operation because they view it as an unpopular war. They see um, news images of their their kids dead in the jungle. Yeah. How do you support that, right? And so— When you look at that, that's essentially a PSYOP, right? The media creates an aspect of it. So the other arm of PSYOPs is the media uh, arm of it. Uh, PSYOP conveys messages via visual audio and audiovisual media. Military psychological operations at the tactical level are usually delivered by loudspeaker, face-to-face communication. For more deliberate campaigns, they may use leaflets, Radio or television, strategic operations may use radio or television broadcasts, various publications, airdrop leaflets, or as part of a covert operation, material placed in foreign news media. So the media is an arm of a potential psyop. And when we look at all the censorship that's going on, Donald Trump, Ron Paul getting kicked off Twitter, I'd love to do a whole um, podcast on that. But when you look at that, that's essentially part of the media silencing. Uh, someone they strongly disagree with that doesn't toe the line of the narrative. Now, outside the censorship, that shows that the media, the mainstream media, is bought and paid for by our adversaries, the deep state, big tech, right? All of this stuff is intertwined, right? So the media is an arm of creating those environments in terms of psyop.
1: Yeah, and if you start looking at the the media and how they portray between – between World War II and Vietnam, there's a forgotten war, which is the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And you, during World War II, um, morale was very high in the U.S. Everybody kind of had this mentality of like, hey, we, us together, everybody's going to work for the war effort. It's a global... Um, issue. And America got dragged into the war, uh, obviously, when they attacked, when J- Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And, you know, we weren't going to be a part of that. We got we got put into it. And, you know, the end result is that we, we won that war. Um, the Korean War was from 1950 to 1953. So that was the war that nobody remembers. That's why it's literally called the Forgotten War. Um, and it was a major war. It's a three-year war, you know, Huge action. I mean, you had South Korea, America, North Korea, and China. So, and then Russia, uh, you know, supporting that as well, unofficially. So the media did a really good job of not reporting. There was not a lot of coverage on this war. We had just came out of World War II. Um, it was very bleak. And to be honest, it you know you could say that it was kind of like a stalemate. It was the first time. Uh, That there was not an overwhelming victory. I mean, think about it. We just came out of World War II. We just, you know, stomped the Nazis and we, you know, we beat the Japanese and it was just huge success and people coming home and you had sailors with the iconic picture kissing the, coming off the ship and doing the kiss and VE day and all that good stuff. And then you have the Korean War where, You just get absolutely smashed. I mean, at one point in time, the the, the U.S. Army was in disarray at that time. It wasn't a very uh, effective army. Doctrine was outdated. Weapons were outdated. Um, We just weren't prepared. We got soft at that point, and we got smashed. We got the entire Korean Peninsula got pushed back all the way to the coast. I mean, the North Korean Army and the Chinese Army managed to push the South Koreans and the U.S. Army all the way to the tip of the coast, almost off the entire peninsula. It was, you almost lost the entire thing. And we were able to push all the way back to where Seoul is right now, which is the middle of the peninsula. Uh, And we kind of held there. And that's where they drew the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. To this day, the largest active landmine field in the world. Um, 13,000 artillery pieces. Currently, right now, are pointed at Seoul. They would literally destroy the entire city in like 1.3 seconds. That's the way it's set up. North Korea, ha- and I mean, you can see it. It's not that far away. They, are with, they have 13,000 artillery pieces. I'm not, that, that's not an exaggeration. When we took the tour of the DMZ when I went there, that's what they said. So imagine 13,000 artillery pieces trained on one city. And at the snap of a finger... They just let loose. Boy, well, we talk about a psychological aspect. Yeah. they would Just knowing that at any minute, death could just come raining down, you know. Well, because of that, um, the media was like, hey, you know, we're just going to kind of step back and we're not going to report on everything that we see. And when you move into Vietnam, it's almost like since people didn't really get a sense of vi- overwhelming victory and that those like happy vibes weren't there from winning anything – now you have this negative connotation with all oh, these troops went into another country, and we're just gonna you know have the same issues that we had before, and your baby killers, and all this stuff, and that's kind of where you start to see the the media portray, and they did a very good job of portraying it in a negative light, um, of course, and that's where you start to see a lot of the the U.S. as a as a generation, that whole generation of younger adults, kind of. Say, hey, well, this isn't right, and that's where you see that divide happen of the the quote hippie you know crowd versus the the older World War II crowd. The that's two right. World War crowd. It's it's very much
0: a different um, way of thinking, a different school of thought. And you know, it's worth noting too that a lot of those people that were hippies back then are also the people that are in leadership now in our government. Yes. So you got to think. A lot of that hippie generation, you know, they're still around. They're in government. I mean, look at Biden. He's been serving forty seven years. I don't know about forty eight. Maybe I serving believe. up yeah. bullcrap. Yeah, is more of the proper term. But you know, you talk about someone who's a career politician who's been in for forty seven years. I mean, uh, what what a, what a crazy thing to think that these these hippies now are part well, of that movement. Well,
1: you have to think he's 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 held office for longer than you and I both have been alive. He was literally serving in office before we were born. It's weird to think about. That is absolutely insane. All right. So we're going to, we're going to,
0: sorry about that. Yep. Uh, we're using ammo cans to prop our feet up on. You might've heard that. I was just so angry. I started throwing stuff. That's right. All right. We're going to dive into the next thing. We'll talk about false flags real briefly here. And, um, this sort of also beckons into the age of snooping and the age of the NSA and mass surveillance. um, I I want to mention some things about this because I think it's kind of an important, uh, talking point. All right. So Wikipedia, again, I'm just using this to help organize our information here. All right. False flag. A false flag operation is an act committed with the intent of disguising the actual source of responsibility and pinning blame on a second party. The term is popular amongst our next term. We're going to talk about conspiracy theorists, uh, who promote it in referring to covert operations of various governments and cabals. One could argue that the media is a cabal. The definition of a cabal is a group of people who are united in some close design, usually to promote their private views or interests in an ideology, a state, or another community, often by intrigue or usually unbeknownst to those who are outside their group. The use of this term usually carries negative connotations a cabal, you know, is a term that we certainly don't view as a positive term, but I do refer to the media as a media cabal uh, for that reason. It's it a cabal is almost like a incredibly wrong interior religion that only the people within it know about. They create they they have almost a religion of personality that surrounds their views and their needs and they use the power at their disposal uh to further that goal. Now, getting back to false flags, um I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole uh, in this, okay? but recently a heck of a lot of emails were released and documents were released and a huge data dump on WikiLeaks, and there's tons of information out there. Some of Hillary's emails, some communications between the FBI, and maybe not exactly 100% points to this directly, but a good example is, all right, the Vegas shooting. Some people view the Vegas shooting as a false flag that it was actually a government FBI agent or CIA agent up there with a saw and not some guy with a bump stock. So I'm not going to say whether or not which end of it I believe because I don't want to be labeled in some heinous way, which you know they'll do. But you have to wonder. It's like when you see these things happen, many people view 9-11, uh, what happened with the Twin Towers, as some form of a false flag operation. You know, well, Our well, own government potentially taking down the towers with planes or something like that in order to push us into something that they support, right? They can blame it on someone else and go, look, it was this guy with the weapons of mass destruction. Now we have to fight this entire war because they did this. When in reality, uh, it's widely viewed by many people that it was a false flag incident. So that is the definition of a false flag. Doing something heinous, knowing that it'll be blamed on someone else so you can reap the benefits of it being blamed on that person. A red herring, so to speak, or something like that. I,
1: and I've heard both terms, false flag and red herring as well. What I will say is you may not say anything about the Vegas shooting, and I'm not going to say anything definitively, but if you've ever used a bump stock, the cadence that you fire is not that uniform.
0: Especially it's, from a bipod.
1: Yeah, it's very sporadic.
0: You're not, you're not going to fire that thing accurately at all. And you're definitely not going to do it from the prone, from a bipod, because yep. the gun can't operate from a bipod. Yeah. You can't shoot a bump fire device from a bipod. Or not an, easily. Not unless you are really, really good with a gun. Yeah. You have to know exactly how that gun operates. And to do it with such a cadence,
1: Yeah. I mean, impossible. it was a very steady... I mean, just go back and listen to it. It's very... Yeah. They're not fooling anybody, guys. <laughs> so, if you look back through history, um, false flags have... Well, I'm going to say the government, because you don't typically see anybody outside of the government utilize false flags for for anything, because there's not really a benefit to it. But uh, they they do use them. Um, Most notably, you'll see people currently with what happened with uh, the Capitol Capitol Hill uh, protests, I'll call them, Um, mostly peaceful Capitol Hill protests, you know, you'll, um, and real quick, when they said that somebody managed to get Nancy Pelosi's laptop out of her office, I would be curious to see the, when they do release the emails, because somebody's going to, somebody's going to get it open, someone's going to open the emails and send them out. I would be curious to see what type of emails they have floating around on their laptops. Um but you see all kinds of false flags with what happened with the inauguration. They're like, oh, you know, 25,000 National Guard troops. And, you know, within the, in, within the community, I'm not going to say the industry, but within the community, we were all kind of saying like, hey, you know, just be very careful if you're going to attend. You're, you know, do what you want to do. Go and do what your heart wants to do. But just be aware that there is the possibility of of the government using a false flag. And we're all cognizant of that because we all have to be very careful it's very very easy and it's it can happen very quickly um to to do that
0: i'm forced unfortunately to disagree with you a little bit okay i think that the group of people that actually have a cognitive uh cognizant cognizant uh view of the situation are probably a lot smaller than you think so while I don't doubt that there are people that think about it in that context, I think the general public at large doesn't think that deeply into the nuance of the situation. So you're right and wrong simultaneously. I can be both. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but I think that the people that are really paying attention, I truly believe understand what the CIA, FBI, the deep state, the government is capable of doing. Right. And, It's so unfortunate that you get thrown into this really terrible group where someone says, oh, well, you're crazy for thinking this way. Who would think that way, right? Well, when you've been among them and you've dealt with them and you've been in situations that were orchestrated and perpetuated by them, you can't help but see the big picture. And I think that those that have been to warfare and that have been deployed and have been a little bit on the inside of the government machine – They understand the nuance of how the government operates, what their intentions are, the lengths that they're willing to go to, what they're willing to do to people, what they're willing to subject their own people to. And I think when you stand back and look at that giant picture, it paints a clear picture. In the worst colors, with the broadest brush. I truly believe that in my heart.
1: And, And, you know, I think it's suffice to say that it's okay that, you know, we disagree on things like that. It's good to not. And for the listeners as well, it's not a complete echo chamber. You know, there are going to be times that, you know, we we don't align 100%. I want to believe that people have that view. Right. On a more widespread level.
0: I I want to share your optimism, though. We'll give you
1: that. (laughs) Uh, But to to go back to the, the, you know, deep state militia or, uh, you know, the deep state warfighter mentality that you were talking about. We've been to war, so you kind of see that that mentality. I think there are a lot of things that happen that you wonder why it's so simple to solve these problems. Like if you're out there and you're on a patrol and you see something and you report it and you say, hey, you know, so and so, this is what we saw, and they're like, all right, thanks. Well are you gonna do anything about it? No. Yeah, it's al- where does that intelligence yeah, go? It's almost like they have your your leadership has a directive that's been given to them and they're not really going to deviate from that directive. They're like, well, if that happens then it would actually help this.
0: Or if they're even aware of what exactly, uh, you know what I mean? Aware of what their handlers even, even know, like, all right, our platoon leader, what does he know? The company commander, what does he know? Right. I mean, you go further up the, the chain of command. What do they really know other than what they're being told to do and what they disseminate to their troops? So, it's just kind of weird to think about. And think about the situations that, you know, you might get involved in a situation that doesn't even get reported. Oh, there's tons of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tons. And I'm, I'm, and not, tons. I'm certainly not going to dive into that. That's, yeah, I'm
1: not either. But you know, I will not. tell you, we can both speak from experience. Tons of stuff goes unreported.
0: It does. All right. So now is a great time to dive <laughs> into our next uh,
1: thing that we're going to talk about here, and that's conspiracy theories. All right. So – Conspiracy theories. Wait, before you get into conspiracy theories, we're on uh, psyops and, and false flags. Sure, we cannot ignore, uh, especially with the media, Operation Mockingbird. Okay, so Operation Mockingbird, um, was a propaganda operation from the media. So if you actually look it up, Operation Mockingbird all of the media and news outlets are owned by three or four uh, people. They literally own every single... So when you tune into your TV and you see Fox News Channel 5 or CBS Channel 46 or NBC or ABC, those are all owned by three or four people. And there's a great uh, YouTube video, if you just type in Operation Mockingbird News Apology, where they actually put out a blanket apology to every single news organization that they own. And they they superimpose all of these, these news channels saying the same exact script at, at the same time on the same night. And it was an apology for uh, misreporting the facts. And it's just to see how fast they can disseminate that information this same message word for word across the nation shows you how much power that these news corporations that are owned by three or four people have and how fast they can put out any type of information whether it's misinformation or correct information the the ability to put that information out there so quickly it, it is astounding you know and
0: it's very interesting to think that In this modern world that we live in, in this age of mass surveillance, the NSA, all this snooping, the Patriot Act, and what will potentially become the Patriot Act 2.0, which we know it's coming, Mm -hmm. right? we're on the eve of it. We see the sabers rattling at this very moment. When we look at that as an entire situation, it really does make you understand the fact that he or she or they that control... The media and control the dissemination of information ultimately control the uh, opinion and hearts and minds of the masses. And that is really what this all kind of culminates into, right? And I believe also when we look at the definition of conspiracy theorist and conspiracy theory and all of these things, I am going to go all off of the uh, you know information that's here on Wiki. Uh, Operation Mockingbird, we already discussed that. Uh, I will discuss conspiracy theories. So, according to Wikipedia, a conspiracy theory is an explanation for an event or situation that involves a conspiracy by sinister or powerful groups, often political in motivation. When other explanations are more probable, uh, the term is a negative connotation implying that the appeal to a conspiracy is based on the prejudice or insufficient evidence. And... Of course, there are the things that get into this when we look at the way that the intelligence agencies view conspiracy theorists and the people that spread these uh, so-called conspiracies, right? Conspiracy theory, I believe, is, is often turned into a very different type of thing where they want to simply use that term as a blanket statement to label anyone that disagrees with them, regardless of what the information is. In this modern world world that we live in, okay, for instance, um, when we talk about um, election fraud and you see all these situations where various members of the polling uh, uh, zones and everything are being arrested for fraud and all of this type of stuff. And, of course, there's tons of video evidence and there's all of these different things that get thrown around uh, in terms of evidence that is actual evidence. But yet, you're a conspiracy theorist for thinking that there's election fraud related to the 2020 presidential election and to the 2021 Senate runoffs between, uh, you know, our, our Senate houses here, our Senate seats here in Georgia. So... Conspiracy theorist is actually really just a naughty term. Like Wikipedia says, it has a negative connotation to it. And that's true. And that's why you're quickly and and readily labeled as a conspiracy theorist if you simply don't toe the narrative. That's a dangerous area, right? Maybe 30 years ago, a conspiracy theorist was someone who just spread a bunch of random outlandish rumors and ideas with really not a lot to back it up whether in the interest of driving conversation or in the interest of changing someone's minds to benefit a given uh, political environment that they exist within, no. Today's conspiracy theorists, it's meant almost as an accusatory term that they can throw at anybody that disagrees with their narrative. Remember, the media controls all of this stuff. We've got a media cabal in play right now. Anything you say that disagrees with the mainstream media narrative is automatically labeled as either racist or you are furthering some conspiracy theory. We found that in this age of the NSA and the Patriot Act and all of these things going on, this battle for intelligence, the battle for the human mind, the battle for the hearts and minds of America, that more times than not, within the last 20 or 30 years, many conspiracy theorists that maybe 50 years ago might have been coined as being, ah, you're crazy, a lot of them have come true. They've come to light and they've come to be actually true in their time. So, you know, I think the theory of uh, the conspiracy theory paradigm gets thrown around in a negative light by those that want to silence the opposition, whether they're right or wrong, maybe not even be irrelevant. The fact that they know they're right and they use that term to purposely defame them, um, shame them, cancel them, this cancel culture that exists it's a quick and easy way for them to pl- to apply a blanket statement to a group of people that they hate, that disagrees with their narrative.
1: I would agree. I think that cons- the word conspiracy has a negative connotation attached to it, and the only way that I can describe it is that if the word um, scheme, if you think of the word scheme, it has a negative connotation to it. So like, oh, he's a he has this scheme. But if you actually go to say like the UK or Britain, that is just a word they uh use for the word plan. So if you're like, oh yeah, he's got I mean in the US, it's like, oh, I have a get rich quick scheme. Okay, so that's a negative connotation to it. But in like the UK, it's like, oh, he's got a he's got a something something scheme. You're like, okay, cool, what is it? That's just a word for the word plan. Uh, a definition for plan, you know? So, I don't know where that, the how the term conspiracy got such a negative connotation, because when I hear conspiracy, all I think of, oh, it's just uh, your way of saying there's some backdoor shenanigans going on that, you know, we should probably know about.
0: All right. So, I'm going to also just quickly reference uh, Wikipedia uh, here uh, when it comes to of course, we're here in the U.S., so I'll, I'll try to apply this. They give a lot of instances on Wikipedia where conspiracy theories are approached from different perspectives all around the world in terms of how the authorities, well, they're no authority over my life, but what we call generally the authorities, government approaches it. Uh, let's look at this. historic Historian Catherine Olmstead. Cites that three reasons why Americans are prone to believing in government conspiracy theories. Okay, number one, genuine government overreach and secrecy during the Cold War, such as Watergate, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, yeah, Project MK Ultra, Ultra, and the CIA's collaboration with mobsters in attempting to assassinate Fidel Castro. Number two, precedent set by official government sanctioned conspiracy theories for propaganda, such as claims of German infiltration into the U.S. during World War II, or the debunked claim that Saddam Hussein played a role in the 9-11 attacks. Again, going back to, you know, oh, we have to attack them over weapons of mass destruction because they attacked us. And remember, George Bush Jr., was like, oh, Saddam tried to, you know, plot to kill my father and had this thing against, you know, uh, Bush Sr. And there was that whole um, rivalry there. So getting into that same type of thing. Number three, distrust fostered by the government spying on harassment of dissenters, such as the Sedition Act of 1918, the COINTELPRO, it's a giant abbreviation, and as part of the various Red Scares. All right, I'm going to add to that. Also, in relation to the Patriot Act yes. and all the NSA and the snooping, so where, whereby Catherine did not mention that, I'm going to add my little piece to that to make this thing go full circle. To add to number three, I would say the NSA and the and the spying and the snooping and the gathering of all this information, the information that we know they're keeping because of people like Assange, okay, and 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 people like Snowden. I think that's another reason. And I think it's a merited reason and a reason worth looking into and a reason worth people having the courage to keep trying to seek out this information and share it with people so they can know the true hypocrisy that really lies within the entire uh, minutia of the deep state, big government, big tech, and where we're going. Because ultimately that's really what matters is where we're going, right? Like literally as we speak right now. Okay, Biden has a bust of a known socialist on the desk of the White House right now. Jesus. What does that tell you, right? You know, we're we're what we're applauding socialism right now. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s, you could probably be questioned by the government for supporting communism, right? The, remember the whole red scare, right? But it that's the thing. Like at one point we were extremely anti-communism, pro-capitalism, you know. You, you, you had this nuclear family, right? What we call the nuclear family, where you had, you know, dad could go to work and work his butt off and come home, and little Susie and little Johnny come home from school, tell him what happened at school that day. His wife is in a beautiful polka dot dress. There's two cars out front. They're, they've got their beautiful little house, a microwave, a TV, a stove. Microwave, you say? And a refrigerator. Yeah, and, and every household on one income could live this American dream. That's what we were led to believe, and kids of the 80s, like myself, we were sold this package by the establishment, by the teachers, by the education system. We were sold a package that if we worked hard, went to college, and we paid our taxes and paid our dues, and we had a family, that we'd be able to take care of, we would be able to continue the nuclear lifestyle, the nuclear family. We were sold a lie, and it's like you... you, you realize that the entire system is set up purposely to keep you down. And that's the biggest heartbreak about it.
1: Yeah. And you have days are over. They're never coming back. Well, they're, they're long gone, but again, you have those representatives that have been in office for 48 years. Like, so regardless of what side you are on, I heard Nancy Pelosi speaking. She was doing an interview. And you know, Eric, when you are, when you're so old that your voice doesn't work correctly, like you have a hard time talking because your vocal cords crack and you just can't hold a steady uh, tone. That's what it sounded like. And, and I didn't really care to hear the message that was she was saying. But to me, when I hear the, the inability to speak just due to age, that lets me know that you have been in office way too long, but that's the way the system is set up so that you can be in office for 40 plus years and rule over your, your, your subjects and they can prop you up and all you have to do is keep giving them free stuff. We're going to, well, so let's just jump on that real quick. You know, student loan debt that they're going to repay student loan. Man, I paid $60,000, $60,000 in student loans. Do I get a refund on that? Because everybody else doesn't have to pay it. Oh boy. <laughs> That's I mean, almost an entire another podcast. It right is. There. And Maybe. we'll get to it. But yeah. I just wanted, while I was on the tip of my tongue, I was like, this is, this is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that say to those that actually went out and paid on time the full amount that they borrowed? Like a responsible American. What
0: message does that send to someone <sighs> who works hard and, and pays their debts, right? You know, I was raised uh, in a very unique environment. Uh, I, I did not have a, uh, two parent household and I don't want to get too far on this cause we're getting near the end of the podcast here today. Maybe we can talk about this in a future video or podcast, podcast. Or but, uh, I was not raised in a traditional environment and my grandfather on my mom's side of the family, um, lived through the great depression and taught me a lot of really cool things and a lot of very important life lessons. You know, I look, I've never been to college. I am not formally educated, but you look at what we've done and what we've created, it, it it's upset the entire environment that revolves around controlling people like me. And I'm proud of that. And I'm honored to be a part of that. And I'm going to fight as hard as I can to exist in that environment and, and form my own existence within uh, this giant cabal. Well, you guys... Thank you uh, so much. You got anything else, Matt? Yeah,
1: real quick, um, just to piggyback on what you said about sure. the media and um, you know not wanting to uh, show the American public everything. It really brought me back to uh, Vietnam with uh, Colonel Hal Moore and Joe Galloway, the famous uh, war correspondent, when they were went into uh, La Drang at LZ X-ray, and Joe Galloway was fighting to get in and report what these troops were doing. This was the first major conflict of Vietnam. And I'll and it resonates with me what Hal Moore said. He said, if you're crazy enough to come in here and report this, the American people deserve to know what their children are doing. That was his quote. That's what he said. And that really, I mean, it, it, it's in the shivers up my spine to know that leadership was trying to hold the American public in such high regard to say, if you send your kids over here to fight a war, then you'd also deserve to see what they're doing. And he went in and he, it's a, you know, of course what you see is we are soldiers. Um, the movie and the book, um, we were soldiers once in young, but it just really puts it in perspective, the level of accountability that was that the leaders had during that time versus now. What you see is everybody trying to keep it hush hush yeah. and sweeping it under the rug. You don't you don't need to know this is above your pay grade or you're not in a position to see it. Versus you know during that time, like no, you sent your children over here to do this. You are also going to have to see what what the ben, or what not the benefits, but what the uh, result result is. You know that was really brave of Colonel Moore. And I do believe, I think
0: he passed away recently. Yes, he he did. Yeah. Yeah. Colonel Moore was definitely a force and uh, definitely worth remembering his uh, exploits and everything. In a future podcast, I'll read some of the letters that my uh, pops wrote me when I was in Iraq. Awesome. So we'll we'll share some of those letters. In fact, I have a bunch of letters. We may break some of them out and read some of them just for old time's sake. Just to see awesome. where, our, where our minds were at back then. Yeah, man. It's,
1: it's a different world back then. Oh, yes.
0: Well, uh, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, you can take the tinfoil hat off now. Okay. All right. Yes. It's all, it's it is all a- over for now, but we're not done. We're going to talk about other things, and we hope that you'll join us for that. Go in freedom. Go in liberty. Be happy. Be good people. And we'll see you next week. Every Friday here, uh, we post our podcast. We hope you'll join us. Please leave us a great review, some good comments and a good rating. It helps boost our uh, you know, appearance here on uh, the various uh, streaming sources. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. If the black suits don't gather us up in the night, in which case, pick up the microphone and keep insulting people for me. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts spotify and anywhere else podcasts are found be sure to leave us a five-star review we'd really appreciate that you can support us over on ballistic inc by picking yourself up some merch and remember guys dangerous freedom have a good one